lots and lots of spoilers. G'day, mates. Crikey, we've got a fair dinkum episode of our Butte series, Leave Em Wanting More. And it comes all the way from Australia, 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 Australia. We love you. Amen. Amen. Crack two. <laughs> yeah, that's not a sequel. This is a sequel. <laughs> Mad Max 2, The Road Warrior. Didn't know it was a sequel? Well, it is. Stone the Flaming Crows, it's true. The original Mad Max was the first major film by this cobber... Mel Gibson? Uh, too right. So don't be a drongo, blokes. Crack a tinny and hear us out. We'll be Ripper. I'm your host, slightly annoyed Max Levine. And over yonder is Mike the Humonger from Down Under, Loose. Oi! I have absolutely no idea what you just said. I'm, st- I'm going to stop now. <laughs> and I apologize to anyone who is from or anywhere near Australia. Who has heard of... Or who has been to Australia or likes kangaroos. Hey, before you get started, because I know you have a, a bunch of stuff, probably yeah. trivial things and plot-like things, uh, I just would like to uh, bring up uh, this week's sponsor of our show is Ooh. the makers, the wonderful makers of Warm Brown Sanka. You, when you have a Sanka, <laughs> you'll want to say thank you very much, but don't. <laughs> so... We'll just say a nice oh. big fat thanks to Sanka. You're actually making me miss Rogue Warfare 3 now. <laughs> I hope we've made everybody miss Rogue Warfare 3. <laughs> if you know what I mean. Anyway, I just it's thought I'd get our... It's easy to be our... in love with Sanka brand. <laughs> I just I thought s- I'd get our sponsor out of... <laughs> <laughs> Some, you know, by the way, once again, Sanka folks, please feel free not... To send us any free samples, really. But Max, it's warm and brown. (laughs) Yeah, there's other stuff that's warm and brown, but we're not going to get into that. Yeah, speaking about number twos, let's get on to this sequel, shall we? (laughs) Yes, yes. I know, I did that last The show. A A lot of people don't realize this was, in fact, a sequel. It was not marketed as one initially. It actually was just billed as The Road Warrior, whereas in the rest of the world... Particularly in Australia, it's billed as Mad Max 2, The Road Warrior. Mad Max came out a couple of years before. It did not get, shall we say, the widest release in this country. Real quick, um, when you watched uh, Road Warrior, did you have the title card pop up that said Mad Max 2? Because mine nope. did. Oh, mine nope, did. Mine just said Road Warrior. Uh, the budget for this movie was $3 million. Now this was on, this is 1981. That's still a pretty small budget. The worldwide gross was 23.6 million. It's not a blockbuster, but that's like eight times the money back. That ain't bad. So it's a question as to why they waited so long to make the third one. But the budget for this film, by the way, was about ten times bigger than for the original Mad Max. It was. Do you know what the uh, the take of the original film was? Fifty dollars. One hundred million dollars. The original, really? Worldwide take. It actually held the record for most successful independent film until 1999's, can you guess? Titanic? I don't know. Independent. Blair oh. Witch Project. Oh, okay. Huh. Cool. This was also the, the uh, $3 million budget. That was the most expensive Australian f- uh, film produced up to that time in 1981. That was just a beer tab. 
Uh-huh. <laughs> what I said. And it, they did call it the Road Warrior for North American distribution because, as we say, the original Mad Max in 1979 had only been released on a very limited basis, so they thought it would have confused people. Mel Gibson in this movie has 16 lines of dialogue. That's it. I think it's twice as and, many as he has in the first film. And two of them are, I only came for the gasoline. <laughs> the dog used in the film, named simply Dog, was obtained from a local dog pound and trained to perform in the film. The sound of the engines really upset him, and in one case, incident caused him to um, relieve himself in the car. <laughs> a little awkward. He, they actually made special earplugs for him. And after filming was complete, he was adopted by one of the camera operators. Aww. Yeah. The trailers for this movie, when they came out, did not feature Mel Gibson at all, because nobody knew who he was. He, Mad Max, the first one, was his first major theatrical film. And in this country, still, no one knew the hell, who the hell he was. Uh, one of the factors that which led to using the location that they chose in the middle of friggin' nowhere <laughs> was the prediction by rainfall charts that there would be virtually no rainfall during the shoot. Oops. Except it did end up raining during the shoot for the first time in over four years. <laughs> Production was shut down for over a week. Well, they did film some of it. There was that one rainstorm. Yeah. It did seem uh, weird. Like, I almost didn't believe it, but it's like, well, it's got to rain sometime, I suppose. Yeah, not very often. Once <laughs> every four years, apparently. Uh, according to George Miller, the director, it was Mel Gibson's idea to make Max look as rough and ragged as he did. Before, location, uh, before filming started, Mel Gibson cut his own hair and eyebrows, cut the sleeve off his jacket, and tore up his gloves. <laughs> Accord the kid, the feral kid, is played by Emil Minty. Hmm. And according to him, Mel Gibson taught him how to throw a boomerang and how to headbutt people without hurting them. <laughs> uh, Emil Minty did not go on to do much else in the theater. He did a couple of TV appearances and then went on to become a fairly successful jeweler in Australia. Yeah, he's a very nice guy. I actually watched a little interview with him. He still has the boomerang. And he, oh, cool. uh, he wants to, there's, there's apparently going to be a 40th anniversary and he wants to show up to it. Uh, yeah, little, little feral kid, as he's known, is now almost 50. <laughs> <laughs> In one scene, Max eats a can of Dinky D dog food. <laughs> Dinky D is Australian slang for genuine or real. Ah. Uh, Vernon Wells, who plays the role of Wes, the berserker. Mm -hmm. There's almost no way to know, by the way, that that's his name, except at one point the toady said when they've uh, captured Max's car says the tanks are full and it's all yours mighty Wes. Yeah. That's it. That's the only time. Uh Mel Gibson used to refer to Vernon Wells as barometer bum. <laughs> Cuz he was the outfit he wore had no ass cheeks. Yeah. And you could see, and basically when his cheeks turned purple on the set, they knew it was too cold and they'd send everybody onto the bus so they could warm up. <laughs> See, he was useful. He was very useful. Uh, I never, I could never tell this in the in one of the opening, the opening shot when Max finds the truck. There's a tarp over it with some graffiti on it in yellow paint. But it, in, at, this is the truck at Mundi Mundi, and the, it says the vermin have inherited the earth. Ah, now this this would be more impressive if we hadn't just done the Matrix too. But there were eighty cars. Custom vehicles made for this movie, and more than half were destroyed. Compared to the Matrix 2's 300, that's not so impressive, but still. Yeah. They were all new, too. 
Uh, the gang's name is never actually mentioned in the movie, but the script calls them the Marauders. Kind of ah, fits. Sure. In that rather disturbing night torture sequence where they're tearing the people apart and setting them on fire, the Marauders are, the humongous appears to be giving this speech. You can pick out a couple of words, but it's almost entirely incomprehensible. This is because, well, first off, it's in German. Yeah. And it is a poem by Goethe called Der Erlkönig, which I, my father played me a musical version of this poem. It's creepy as all hell. It's a father taking his little boy through the woods, and the little boy is slowly freezing to death, and he hears the voice of Der Erlkönig, the elf king, calling to him to join him. <laughs> so it's just it's like- Horrifying! <laughs> it's like that lovely, wonderful, enrapturing Hans Christian Andersen tale, The Little Match Girl. <laughs> yes! Yeah, and of course, at the end, the kid does freeze to death, only there's none of this going to heaven. He's carried, probably his spirit is carried off by the Elf King. Yeah. Uh, the Black Interceptor, driven by Mel Gibson, and I just bring this in for all you car nuts, it's a 1973 Ford Falcon XB GT Coupe. This car was only made in Australia. Yeah. Exclusive for them, although it was eventually sold to a few of them in in South Africa. Yeah, it's interesting because the big three often have their own companies in other areas, like Europe's Ford cars. We don't see Australia. Yeah. Australia actually, GM with down there was actually known as Holden. They purchased uh, an Aussie uh, company called Holden, and that yeah. was GM for a long time. And finally, GM got rid of Holden, which pissed off the Aussies. But. Uh, also, Miller made the sequel in part to overcome all his frustrations on the first Mad Max because there was such a low budget and it was so hard to make that, quote, I had all this sort of pent-up energy for the story and the filmmaking. So basically, Mad Ma- the Road Warrior is his catharsis. So good on you. Okay. Also, well, I, this threw me in the, uh, the opening credits. It says the music was composed and conducted by Brian May. That is not the Brian May from from Queen. It's just another guy named Brian May. And that's pretty much... There's a ton of other stuff, uh, but that's pretty much what I've got. Well, i got a couple of things from the first film, because I actually... Yeah, it's been ahead. so long since I'd seen the original one that I, uh, I went and watched the first one again. Uh, I'll, I'll say this. If you haven't seen the original film... Uh, for three hundred and fifty thousand dollars, which is all he paid, it holds up pretty dang well. Yeah. Um, and you're watching this film, and you're like, "This looks like the kind of film where a lot of people got hurt making it," and that was probably <laughs> true. Yeah. So uh, you, I think you do know this. Uh, Max Mad Max's full name is Max Rokitansky. I don't know why he's Russian, but he's Russian, I guess. Uh, George Miller was an emergency doctor, which is how he funded the original film. And the the idea from this film came about from all of the road accidents he saw in the ER, and he used most of the injuries that he witnessed in the film. (laughs) Oh! Yeah. Yikes. Uh, It also was not meant to be post-apocalyptic. It's not meant (laughs) to be post-apocalyptic, the first film. In fact, if no. you just watch it without like looking at the title card in the beginning of the film, you'll just think, wow, the Outback is a rough and rowdy place. Uh, they realized afterwards, it's like, wow, it doesn't look very populous. We didn't have enough money for extra or good locations. Let's pretend a world war happened and it was added in editing. So that hmm. whole idea wasn't even part of Mad Max uh, when they shot it. Yeah, that's you can tell. It's definitely not part of the, uh, the atmosphere. It's just like, oh, society is slowly de- falling apart. 
Right. Well, there is. There wasn't a sense that the last war had happened. No. Well, they said it had though in that little card. But apparently, we had this horrible world war. But there's still cops. Okay. Yeah. Um. So they had to get some extras. They had to get a bunch of uh, people who could ride bikes and look mean and and you know act like a bike gang. Do you know where they got them from? I do not. Actual bike gangs. Oh, okay. Uh, and they actually had to ride all the way from, I forget where, like, from Sydney to, to Perth or wherever they filmed it, um, using their own bikes. Uh, a lot of people huh. used their own cars. A lot of the cars in the first film were got from the junkyard. Uh, they did not get permits, so they would, like, just close sections of the road, shoot real quick, and then clean up and leave. But apparently the cops found out and started helping them make the movie. <laughs> Well, that's nice. Yeah. And uh, in the first one, the character of the, the, the toe cutter, yeah. the actor anyway, is the one who shows up as Immortan Joe in the more recent Mad Max Fury Road. Yeah, apparently toe cutter, I didn't know this, I, I didn't write this down, but I do remember it, is the slang term for the, uh, what do they call them, the cops who work internal affairs. So the ones oh. that are actually policing on other cops. That's because they cut the toes of the other cops. I... I, that's what it said. Okay. <laughs> but I don't understand any Aussie slang, so I'm just going to go nod and go sure, whatever you say. Mm. Um, but yeah, so I, I'm betting you have some uh, notes on yeah. the plot. Yes, the plot. It is after the apocalypse, and there is nothing to do except look for beer. I mean gasoline. Really <laughs> <laughs> snorted my water. <laughs> Max, the hard-bitten cop from the first movie you may or may not have seen, Bitter and dead inside after the loss of his family, travels the wasteland looking for nothing in particular. He comes across a small enclave built around a still-functioning oil pump that is under attack from a merciless band of cutthroats led by the terrible Humongous. Unwillingly, Max is drawn into their cause and their conflict, trying to move the community to a safe location while preserving the precious fuel and fighting off the fearsome marauders. That's the whole plot. The pl <laughs> This is not exactly a plot-driven movie. This is very much an action-driven movie, and I guess a little character-driven. But it's very much action. And there is a lot... The action is very brutal, very violent, and very graphic. At least for, for its time. Before we get to the discussion, I just have to say, and I will only say this once, there's a humongous among us. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you're only going to say that once. <laughs> Maybe twice. Yeah, yeah. The guy who played the humongous was basically a Swedish bodybuilder with someone else's voice dubbed in. And he does utter one of our most quoted lines for the past 40 years You disappoint me, you puppy. You puppy. <laughs> Which is an odd line. I am still not sure who he's referring to. Is he talking about Wes because Wes breaks ranks and goes after Max, or is he talking about Max? Because he doesn't know who Max is. Nobody does. No one does. I don't think he's even seen him. He's the road warrior. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, we we didn't get a pause, so I hopefully I was able to edit one in before we start our discussion. But <laughs> this was, uh, I, to be fair, Mad Max, the original film, was the first really big, successful Australian film. Um, Miller wanted to get funding from the government and stuff, but the government was at the time interested in just making artsy films, uh, basically thus securing the idea that they would never leave the Australian shores. Yeah, which most of them didn't for a long time. No, but now I know the gaming group that we're both a part of, that you started, yeah. had seen it, because by the time I showed up in 1981, 
you guys were already telling stories about Mad Max. Yeah. Do you remember where you'd seen it? Was it at the Hollywood Square? Abso- I absolutely remember where I saw it. I saw it at the Science Fiction movie Festival. It came from the Orson Welles when it was actually at the Orson Welles Theater. Wow. That's where I saw it. I remember I was blown away, quite literally. It was because it really stood out from the others. I was like, wow, this is really good. It's also really disturbing. And that's, and of that, course... That was the original Mad Max. Road Warrior right. I saw in, a, I think, it's a standard theater. Yeah. Um, I remember everyone talking about it. I think I must have caught it as a rerun on uh, at the, the Harvard Square. And I remember people talking about it. And the one description of the end of that film, of the, the hacksaw and the handcuff and everything, yeah. just freaked me out as a teenager. I did. It's like, that's the most horrible thing I've ever seen. Yeah. Um, interestingly, the, most of the the quote-unquote gore, most of the actual violence in the first film, takes place off-camera. And yeah. one of my first notes for the second one was, wow, um, things are getting kind of uh, graphic to start because of that really unnecessary rape scene, which yeah. we see most of, admittedly through a telescope. But Not a lot. Matter. Not a lot. It's mostly implied. We only actually see like a second or so of anything apparent. We see, we see more than we need to see. Yeah. Um, and again, it's very disturbing. It's actually, a, a, I thought, a, a very interesting use because we've seen so far only two real characters. We run into Max, and then he runs into the gyro pilot. Right. It's Bruce Spence, who is a lot of fun and the only real breath of comedy in this movie, except for the old man, and he's more of a figure of mockery. Yeah. But the gyro pilot, who's obviously half out of his mind, you know, he and Max are watching this scene where the marauders capture these people and they rape and murder this woman and almost kill this other guy. And Max watches it utterly impassively. And the gyro pilot watches, and you can see he's horrified. And it's for them. And in that set, I thought that was really good because immediately you realize, okay, the gyro pilot isn't a monster. No, he's still human. He's still got empathy. And uh, I thought it's like, all right, maybe we're supposed to like this guy. Well, the the weird part, and I know we're not talking about this film, is that I think it's the same actor shows up in Beyond Thunderdome, except it is. It's, it's not the same character. Except he also is a gyro pilot, but well, yes, and, there's... And Max looks at him like, wait, do I know you? And they sort of both look at each other like, I don't know if we know each other or not, so let's pretend we don't. And then yeah. they, they never make we're, mention we're, of it We're again. not going to bring in the third movie. <laughs> I, I I have a soft spot for it, but it's really terrible. It is really it's, terrible. It's not. I don't know if it's terrible, but it was a real mm-hmm. letdown because it's nowhere near as well done. The main and villain's Tina Turner. <laughs> well, but at least Tina Turner was cool in it. She just didn't. It's just you're sitting there going, "Why are you here? Did you were they shooting another movie on the same set?" Well, let's put it this way: you take Mad Max, you take Road Warrior, and you add a bunch of kids. Uh, <laughs> That was the part that got me. I mean, yeah, it's yeah, whatever. Um, I was amazed at how well the first film held up, but also Road Warrior, because this film is 40 years old, right? It came out in 1981. Yep. And it's an action film. And it's, it is violent, especially for its times. And in a way, the violence, it's still as violent now as it was then. The thing mm. that's different is that the really big, like, wow, I can't believe it moments are almost cartoony. Like, there's one point where there's somebody, I forget who, I think it's actually the Lord Humongous, gets hit by the big truck at the end, and you see arms and legs literally fly (laughs) off, which would not happen. Um, You don't see any blood, you don't see any actual guts. Now, of course, we'd zoom in, you know, there'd be be You'd see individual platelets flying around, yeah. Yeah. Um, 
and I'll have to say this about George Miller. I, the two the two films are not entirely the exact same story. They're kind of close, but of course we we don't deal with Max's uh, wife and and infant son, son. Yeah. in the second film. Um, but it's really mostly just this the bad guys, literally the bad guys who all wear black, isn't that handy? And the good yeah. guys who all wear white. And all, the thing that's the other thing is the, in this movie the aesthetic, the whole feathers and leathers. Yeah. That's the first time we see this, and everybody uses it. Yeah. Everybody, for some reason, in every apocalypse, leather goods are plentiful. <laughs> and football and, pads. Don't and forget foot, football pads. Football and hockey pads. The only thing I remember someone told me once, well, yeah, of course you'd wear leather. It's incredibly durable, and you don't wash it. Well. Like, yeah, those people must be fragrant. Yeah, I was going to say, you can. Yeah. Uh, yeah, my note was that the film visually, at least, was very influential, and that the oh, apocalypse, yeah. or post-apocalypse, will always look like this from now on. I don't yeah. think I've seen another version of the apocalypse or post-apocalypse that doesn't in some way resemble this film. Um, oh, oh uh, by the way, speaking of Bruce Spence, the gyro pilot, yep. we, did you realize we just saw him? He's in The Matrix too. He is? He's the train man. The train man. The guy on the train, uh, in the station, no? Don't remember. Well, he is. Well, good for him. I'm glad he's, he's still out he's there. He's in there. Yeah, he's, uh, he was, uh, he's in Mad Max 3. He did a, he's did a, done actually a surprising number of things. Well, hopefully but, uh, he uh, is not throwing telephones at Jewish people or whatever I, it is Mel Gibson's doing these days. You're mixing you're mixing <laughs> up him and uh, Russell Crowe again. It's the same guy. They're both Australian. <laughs> Russell Crowe's from New Zealand. See? <laughs> oh, yeah. I dare you to tell a Kiwi that it's the same thing. You'll be going home with your teeth in a pocket. Yeah, well. They like, hate that. I know. They I know. hate that. Well, all Americans are the same, too. So there you well, go. Well, yeah. There, see? There you go. Um, <laughs> the, so, in, the, op the opening intro kind of throws me. It's like we're seeing, okay, here's the last war. Like, uh, why does the last war look like World War II? <laughs> and a little of World War One, but... Eh. Yeah, I, I kind of expected different hardware, but okay. It was a I poor mean, war. We couldn't <laughs> afford our own footage, so we had to use stock. <laughs> it was the Battle of the Stoke footage. Eh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I... I, I that you know, for I think it's because of the budget. It didn't. It's like I know. I this assume is not, it had to be because yeah. What are they going to do? Built. Yeah. Um. And again, you know, three million bucks for this film. Dear gods, they used every penny, and oh, yeah. it was not going to Mel because Mel was you know he'd made a name from the first film, but it wasn't that big a name. Certainly no, not in America. Yeah. No. Uh, where he would later by throwing phones at... Never mind. <laughs> it wasn't um, the throwing the phones. It was screaming about Jews being responsible for all the wars and insulting right. police officers. Right. Um, and when this film did... I mean, I, again, remember the impact of this film better than I remember actually seeing it because the way it's shot is actually you really feel like you're moving that fast. And it turns out the reason is because you are. They yeah, literally they strapped yeah. cameramen to the outside of cars or, or bikes and stuff. It's like, we're going 110. Yeah, and a, a lot of them in, in movies, they speed up the film. They're not doing that here. When you no. see them driving at 90 miles an hour, they're driving 90 miles an hour. It was 110. And oh. uh, the cameramen actually were quoted as saying, yeah, we knew we were risking our lives. Like, uh, huh? <laughs> You knew it, and you did. Okay, well, thank you. And Separate. there are some really stunning 
footage from inside the cars and and it and it's shot in that wide angle which really helps and it just again this film too even though it has more money a bigger budget looks like sadly people got hurt i didn't read anything that they said did. they did they did okay. oh absolutely there was a sequence where one of the stuntmen you see there's a scene where a stuntman a guy is hit by a car and oh, he so literally he flips? flips through the air and hits another car he wasn't supposed to hit the other car uh, he hit the other car and shattered his leg See, I saw that, and I'm like, this is 1981. We don't have a computer that can cut out the wires on that. That looks nope. a lot like somebody actually flew through the air. A lot of people got hurt making that. A lot of the stuntmen, even some of the actors got hurt. It was a very dangerous shoot. Yeah. That is absolutely true, and it comes across. You feel, it's very visceral. You feel all of the, the wounds and the pain yeah, and what's fun is when it slows down, it's really noticeable. That that scene that always just kills me is right near the end when Max is driving the Mack truck, and Wex the barbarian has just been allegedly knocked off the front. Wes, Wes, excuse me, and the kid is trying to reach the shotgun shells on the hood, and everything goes quiet, and you just hear a heartbeat, and he's reaching in slow motion, and Wes appears as this <laughs> bloody apparition over the front of the truck every time i'm like ah! yeah and it's the only thing so the kid we're talking about this is his his name is feral kid yeah. um and he's a great character and i almost don't want to use that term because he has no lines he only grunts yeah but he is one of the most memorable things from that film here's this little kid no one is paying attention to it's this little boy with this really terrible wig um but it's ob and he grunts and it's obvious that he takes care of himself. Like, he doesn't want people... And people have learned to deal with that, and nobody pays him any mind. He just wanders around, throws... He's got this chainmail glove and a stainless steel boomerang that we see at one point he throws into Wes's boyfriend's head. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and he just gets around and does stuff, and he's not afraid of anything except that. Even that yeah. freaks him out. That's and, the only point when he screams and be, and I remember this in the theater because the whole theater was screaming too. <laughs> Everyone just lost their mind at that moment. Yeah, even watching it again in the safety of my own home, I'm watching that scene going, where is your mother? Like, <laughs> And, you know, they, I saw a couple of, of clips or, or images of them shooting that scene and I'm sure that the truck was still and there was a fan and stuff, but I'm just like... I don't buy it. I think they actually were moving, and I think they put the kid on the hood of the truck. Yeah. Um, this place where he's hanging onto the outside of the truck, and oh it's like, God. I, hmm. And, and the kid is, in some ways, very touching. There's that, I love that shot where, you know, Max is, come, is about to leave, and the kid has very quietly ensconced himself in Max's car. Yeah. And there's no dialogue. It's not like, can I come with you? It's just like, I'm coming with you. And he's just sitting there, playing with the little music box that Max got him, yeah. that gave him, which is one of those little hand crank things that plays Happy Birthday to You. And it's so touching. Mm. And, and it's so awful when Max, you know, get, oh, shoot, basically throws him out of the car. He's not mean about it, but it's, it's like, no, you're not coming with me. And this is one of the few points that does, in a way, reference the first film. Because otherwise, I'll, I'll, this is sort of a little early for this, you don't have to see the first film at all. No, not you can at all. totally never see Mad Max and fully enjoy Mad Max Two, and that that's not only because they basically show you the first film in the opening. They do have footage and they talk about who Max is and what happened. Mm -hmm. That's fine. This is a rare sequel that 
does take place after the first film, but in no way really relies on the first film. I yeah. think in a way they knew, look, most people won't have seen it, so the hell with it. We're just going to go ahead and, and now there's really an apocalypse. We said there sort of was one before, but now there really is one. Yeah. Um, so I think that the only reference we really have, and it's so slight if you haven't seen the first film, is that this kid is more or less the age his son would have been if he survived. And Max Roughly. is like, I'm not ready to deal with this. Uh, my, my wife and, and son were killed by a motorcycle gang, not entirely unlike the humongouses, and I'm going to have to go through them. I'm not risking this again. I'm not forming attachments. I'm leaving. Yeah, no, it's very, that's very much a callback there. It's also what made, always made me think of, and apparently George Miller was influenced by this. I kept thinking of Shane. Oh, interesting. You know, come back, Shane. Mother, mother wants, wants you. Wants, wants you. you. <laughs> and it's and Miller said that's how he kind of saw it. The relationship of the kid to Max is a lot like the kid to Shane. Yeah. And I think that really a lot of this is like a western. I mean, he really is kind of the Clint Eastwood character, the the man with no name except he has a name, but uh, <laughs> the man with no lines. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the man with no dialogue. <laughs> He's the lone gunman out of the desert who yeah. comes in. You know, there ain't no marshal here no more. We need one. Yeah. Well, not, and, and this actually is going to bring up a question I, I didn't write down as one of the talking points, but I think it's a good one. So Max, we know, has, not you, he, yeah. uh, that Max, not this Max, has <laughs> lost his family and basically become the hollowed out shell of a man wandering the wastelands looking for gas, because that's yeah. what you do. Yeah. Um, he makes a deal with a guy that has was trying to go out and find a truck to to haul this this mother load of gasoline that these people are producing, they get attacked and ambushed. The, the woman, as Max pointed out, we talked about, got raped, and the guy was pinned with crossbow bolts to the car that he was in. Max saves him and brings him back because he makes a deal with him. And says, "Look, if I bring you back, I want enough gas that I can carry and get the heck out of here." So Max goes back. He says, "Look, I have a deal." Well, the guy dies, and so the leader of this group, uh, which is uh, Papa, Papa Gallo, Gallo. Mm -hmm. uh says, well, whatever deal you had died with him. And it's like, we need a truck. And Max is like, well, as it happens, I saw a truck. So I'm going to go ahead and go get this truck, but you got to give me enough gas when I get back and give me my car. Because they'd taken him in his car. So they say, okay. And they're like, well, we don't know if he's going to come back. And then Max, given five gallons of diesel and five gallons of uh, high test, high -test fuel... Too which weighs about 80 pounds, <coughs> uh, goes wandering off into the yeah. desert to find the truck, which he does. And he comes back. Well, he then is like, look, I've done my part. I just want my gas and I'm going. I am getting to a point, I promise. And we can see this coming because the Lord Humongous and his, his cast of friends <laughs> have been attacking this little homemade fort this this couch fort for weeks probably and you know there's a lot of bloodshed etc cetera, etc cetera. and max is like yeah i'm just gonna take my stuff and go and we're all like good luck because a the film's not over and b no yeah so max tries to get out and sure enough he it looks like they think that they've actually caused max to crash and then die which we know he doesn't he actually gets picked up by the auto gyro pilot and brought back Max offers to drive the truck. In fact, he says, I have to. I don't have a choice. Why do you think he says that? First of all, he knows there's no way he's going to get out otherwise, except inside that behemoth. And also, he's got a score be to settle because they killed his dog. 
That is true. They do kill the dog. Which that is, is a real. That's very unusual in the movies. One of the rules in the movie is you don't kill the dog. No, or the cat, uh, whatever. Or the cat. No, you don't kill the animal. Joe's P- stupid cat. <laughs> it, it always it always surprises me. I, I had a friend who was like this. He told me I he wouldn't he didn't care about watching movies about people blowing each other up or disintegrating each other or hacking each other into pieces. But he couldn't stand watching a movie where an animal was killed. Yeah. Well, luckily it's like, off camera. Yeah, but why is that worse? Is it the he said it's because of the innocence? The animal yeah. is an innocent, I guess. But I said, you know, they don't actually kill it, right? <laughs> I mean, but it's the they, idea. They don't. It says at the end, no animals were harmed. They're pretty strict about that. I didn't notice yeah. that they said that in this movie, but because uh, they shoot a rabbit, and I'm pretty sure that that's not a no, fake no. That was in the, that was in the trivia. The rabbit was not actually killed. It was bruised. It was stunned. You <laughs> stunned it just as it will wake it up. I didn't. <laughs> um, I think that that's part of it. I think that it's not only that he's got a score, but I think he's still dealing with the demon of him not having been able to do anything to help save his wife and kid. Yeah, that's possible. It is. Um, this is another enemy like the toe cutter. Yeah, that he has to destroy. He can't. He, <laughs> And the Lord Humongous is, I mean, he's probably quite honestly a gay icon, because there he is in his little leather underwear. It's basically Arnold Schwarzenegger with this really weird bald wig, because it's meant to look like he's either been a, a, a subject of radiation poisoning, or I don't know what. It's not, you can't it's tell. It's not clear. Yeah. He's wearing a hockey mask and a neck brace yep. and leather underwear, and that's and he's a bodybuilder. He's this yeah. giant guy. He's immense. He is, in fact, humongous. He is, and he and he's among us. Uh, I said two, and he is almost cartoony. Um, even Wes is almost cartoony because he's just so. Blah, 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 I'm crazy. I'm crazy. Um, but they're still so. They're just horrible. Um, and the 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 violence is it's so weird between the first film, which you don't actually see that much of it, and this film where they show you things, but you're just like. That's horrible, but I also don't buy it. So at one point, the kid's throwing the boomerang at the members of the Humongous's group, and the first oh, thing and the toady he, tries to catch it, <laughs> and his fingers get cut off, and you see it. And I don't know about you, but there was, wasn't a second where I was like, "Yeah, that's real." No, because right? there was no blood. Well, that and if too. you sever a finger, the arterial pressure—it's very hard to bleed to death from you having your finger cut off. I had a boss who was an EMT who told me about that. But there's a, a lot of spurting. That yeah. happens. Yeah. And when you lose four of them? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but what happens right after that is all of the other gang members start laughing. And even the toady's like, oh, yeah, that is pretty funny. And he's holding, clutching his hand. And it's just like, <laughs> this is a really weird dichotomy going on here. Well, the, t- the toady's laughing clearly for the same reason the, the kid who's being picked on will laugh at himself it's a defense mechanism yeah it's again it just shows what these are people are absolutely horrible right and it also emphasizes they're absolutely irredeemable yeah there's nothing good about any of them in any of them no uh the whole to be fair the theme of this film is you know we have to find gas lots and lots of gas and these people are gonna supposedly they've they've i guess uh managed to drill crude oil and somehow refine it in this couch fort well clearly they found a refinery they found uh, an oil derrick 
with some kind of refi- yeah the refining I don't quite know how they manage because mm. I think that's a big deal. I would think so, but, um, but they want to get two thousand miles away to the coast where it's supposedly it's nicer. Um, if you've seen the third film and the fourth film, you might guess that that's actually not the case. Yeah, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think there is nicer. Um, although there was, I'm trying to remember what it was. There was a post-apocalyptic science fiction film from the '60s where the last remaining bits of civilization were supposed to be in Australia, but I can't remember what it was. And I remember they were getting a radio signal from it. When they get there, it turns out it's not really a radio signal. It's literally a window shade and a Coke bottle attached oh. to the, like the Morse code thingy. And it just, the wind keeps making it sound like they're sending stuff, but whatever. Um, this, this film will go on to spawn so many other eighties knockoffs um, most of which I'd even say probably all of which aren't worth watching. Um, but what Miller does really well, I would say, is he keeps to a very simple theme. He doesn't over-expound on it. The film's actually very short uh, for, for con- today's conventions. It's 90 minutes, yeah. and it does not need to be any longer, and Miller was cool with no, that. No, it's like, incredibly nope. tight. It's incredibly yeah. well edited. The pacing... Never lets up, but it doesn't beat you over the head. You don't feel exhausted. No, because there are there are lulls, but it, they don't drag. No, this is a this is a real uh, masterclass in how to direct an action movie. What's interesting too is to me is that we the money spent three million dollars was not a lot in 1981 because Star Wars, which was made for a quote unquote tiny budget of eight million dollars, was 1977. Um, and it's amazing how much, I hate to use this word, but grandeur you get in this film. So this car chase, which takes place during the last 20 minutes of the film, and is almost too long, but not, not is quite. exciting, it's gripping, the stunts are ridiculous, and <laughs> quite honestly, probably illegal. But they go so far, so again, this this couch fort, I keep calling it, is made up of old school buses and other cars and the oil derrick and stuff um at the end of the film basically they're leading everybody away from it and then there's two groups one that has the big tanker truck supposedly full of gasoline and then the rest of the people who are going off on their own hopefully going to be ignored by the rest of the gang members and they blow up that fort and Mm. it is not a miniature or if it is it is the best miniature i've ever seen because it literally looks like they took this giant fort and this oil derrick and they exploded it all (laughs) over the place it blowed up real good and it's like every you can see every last penny of this film and it's just nothing feels cheap even though all the cars look cobbled together that too would become a thing you'd start seeing that kind of vehicle it's like oh if we're going to do the post apocalypse they have to have cars that look like they're all junked together from different parts and they have to wear football plaids which makes sense you know the the, the whole thing of the cars you repair them with what you have and well you know they're all patched they're pat, basically patchwork virtually unrecognizable enough- I think there's enough Toyota Corollas that you could just keep driving a Toyota Corolla forever. <laughs> well, but, nowadays, uh, yeah, there would be like... An, except you see a whole bunch of, say, the Marauders are driving around in Priuses. It's just not going to be that terrifying. <laughs> like, oh, oh no. you signaled the turn was successful. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, Max, that'll help save that precious gasoline. You know, if it That is like, true. That is it, true. If they fuse a hybrid, once all the bombs uh, drops, remember, go for a hybrid. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, I just think that he 
and I think this was his first. Mad Max was his first like feature length film. Yeah, the guy really knows how to to direct. Like I didn't. Yeah, okay. Mel Gibson never did a big film before, and uh, the first one, or and this this is his second. Uh, some of the actors in this, I guess, either had done stuff before or not. But even the kid was not like much. eight years most, old. Most of them were like low level TV actors. But there was never a point that even the kid made me feel like, oh, it's cousin Oliver. You know, it's somebody that doesn't really know what they're doing. The kid made no. me believe that he was this like you don't have parents because there's no way they'd let you film this, right? Um, so he, the guy, knows how to direct an action film. Yep, he does. Um, and I gotta give you know. I don't, and these days, I don't like Mel Gibson much as a person, yeah. but I got to give him points for this. He does a really good job, given how he has almost no dialogue, but you still know everything you need to know about the character. Mm-hmm. And he does it all with his face and with his body language and with his intonations, and he really nails the character. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that they do in this film that with their action hero that they generally only do anymore in Indiana Jones films is they allow their action hero to get hurt. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Like when they're in fights, it's like you don't take a punch and you're fine. You take a big punch and half the time in this film you stay down, which is pretty much what would happen. Right, or your lip splits or, you know, something you bleed and it hurts. And there's even a little uh throwback to the original film it's one of those little we talked about easter eggs last week this isn't an easter egg it's literally just a tiny detail it's a nice harken back if you don't know where it comes from it's fine because it still humanizes the character but if you do it's like oh yeah that's cool i'm glad they put that in max has a knee brace he had his Mm. knee shot out in the end of the last film yeah and i'm guessing that in the post-apocalypse there's not a lot of knee surgeries around (laughs) um so he's and they actually even oil it at one point somebody oils it for him but he's not perfect (laughs) oil can what Mm -hmm. um but max is not perfect and honestly for me that makes a an action hero more believable when they can be hurt and and they don't fall into a lot of the other cliches there's a sort of hint at a romance with the warrior woman who doesn't actually have a name She's not I, even. I think she's. A, and there's a little bit of like, oh, there's kind of an attraction there. And even uh, in in the trivia, there was a note that Miller put in that uh, he made sure she has a, a a sizable scar on her face, which means she's not perfect, and that's why Max can uh, feel, feels she's approachable. But even that, it's a momentary thing. They they realize we're not going to have time to develop this, so we're not going to suddenly have them fall in love in two minutes. Again, a really nice touch. Yeah, and I, for me, it wasn't even a look between them that said, you know, I could go for you. It was more like respect. Like, that's it. It's like, yeah, yeah, you, you really know how to th- throw that flamethrower. Uh, <laughs> and I actually forgotten that she, uh, she gets killed fairly early on in the big car chase, um, which is a shame. But, oh, uh, yeah, love stories thrown into action movies. Don't need them. Don't need them. This film, actually, that's the word for this film. It's very lean. Yeah. There's like no there. fat in this film. Nope. There is nothing in this movie that doesn't need to be there. No. Uh, and I, you know, before we get to the end, I think it holds up partially because of that. Um, sadly, this would be the last of the V8 interceptors. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, actually, it won't be because somehow even nearly crushed, it shows up in the third film. Yeah. <laughs> but whatever. Um, oh. oh, look, behind that rock, another V8 interceptor. Well, it shows up long enough to yeah. uh, almost explode, but whatever. Uh, which is weird because it does explode in this film. It, it, it would take a scientist to explain it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, yeah, so when was the last time you saw this? Oh, it's got to be at least 10, 15 years ago. It's been a while. But I had seen it. I must have seen this movie six, eight times. Yeah. And I got to say, one of the reasons this movie appealed to me when it first came out, when the first did, this was one of the first movies I ever saw where the hero was named Max. <laughs> Max is never the hero or was never the hero when I was growing up. Max was always the henchman, the sidekick, the deformed lab assistant. <laughs> You know, the little blue meanie, the <laughs> Peter Falk in the Great Race. He was, he was, there was no heroes named Max. Yeah. And of course, you, you folks can't see him, but they actually look exactly alike. Oh, yeah. Me, me and Mel Gibson. Yep. <laughs> well, no, that Mel Gibson, not the one oh. now who looks like Moses or something. Oh, I shouldn't have said that, should I? <laughs> oh, you uh, like that. Yeah. yeah. Yes, that's right. People, yes, I used to get mistaken for Mel Gibson. Never. Yeah, never. <laughs> You know, you just blew... I gave you a chance, and you blew it. Uh, I have a question, though, one of my talking points. Um, so you and I both saw this back when we were in high school-ish yeah. uh, gaming mm -hmm. groups. This was one of the films our gaming group adored. Oh, yeah. Um, Mad Max and The Road Warrior, which is like, this was one of those films. Like, oh, this, uh, this is part of our pantheon now. And when I started watching Mad Max, which I don't think I've seen since the 80s. Like, I literally don't think I've seen the original one since then. My 17-year-old self suddenly woke up and jumped out. Is like, yeah. I remember! I remember! <laughs> and the other part of me is looking at this going, yeah, I remember, but I'm not sure I'm like this now. How do you think our view of this film has changed with us changing over the years? Like, how, can you can you do that? Can you go, I thought of this film in high school like this. Now I think of it more like this. Well, yeah. In, in high school, this film was revolutionary. It was, uh, to me, the first of its kind. I'd never seen a good post-apocalyptic movie. I'd never seen a... <laughs> You'll never see another one again. <laughs> well, no, there have been other. I mean, Mad Max Fury Road, I thought, was very good, but there are others. Yeah. And uh, now I look back at it and think, wow, look how influential that movie was. Look at what it spawned. Look at what came out of it. Look at how many people use the look and the style and the visuals and even the story. It's funny. The thing I, w I thought of watching this movie suddenly was, you know, this could have fit into our In Search of D&D &D series. Because in some ways, this is kind of like a D&D &D adventure. The lone hero coming along. Oh, look, these people are in trouble against an evil villain. I'll have to help them. Yeah, except that it ends with the guy walking off into the, the sunset, which, unless the GM, oh, say, you, has <laughs> killed all the other characters off, doesn't generally happen. Not, not true, but at least this one, he was after treasure. Yeah. He well, wanted stuff. He wanted gasoline. Gasoline. But that, that's what struck me. I don't know so much about how, if I can separate the way I saw it when I was a kid from the way I saw it now. It's just, when I saw it as a kid, it was so new and unusual. I, I don't think I'd ever seen a movie like it. I think for me, it's the violence. Because um, back when I was a teenager, the glorification of violence, because let's face it, this film is about blowing stuff up. Yeah. Um, a lot of it. Um, I was way more into that then and way more willing to ignore the fact that this is, we're looking at the really the darkest side of people. Because um, even the best people in this film are shooting left and right. I mean, yeah. in some cases, they have to. Um, and although things would get a lot more graphic later on a lot. This film is just like, this is a PG film. Now back then 
the feral kid couldn't even go see the premiere because it was rated R in their country. Yeah. And it's Australian. So they, they actually somehow got it changed at the last minute to their version of PG and he snuck in um, <laughs> with his mother, by the way. But it's like, yeah, I can't even see a film I'm in. I am a lot more uh, sensitive to violence. So there's points in this film, even as ungraphic as it is by today's standard, where I look away. Uh, the rape scene, it's like, I don't need to see this. Uh, I don't go for the glorification. So in a way, I feel things in this film more. I'm less, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, wow, ow, ooh, ouch. Um, that, and of course, that was the other thing. A lot of the violent movies we saw that came out in the 70s and very early 80s, the violence tended to be very clean. Yeah. There's always, oh, James Bond, bang. Oh, thud, no blood. Right. My, my arm, there's a tiny red spot. Of, um, guy gets punched, there are no bruises. Or the old William Shatner, a little trickle of blood. Yeah, a little trickle of blood, just to let him <laughs> wipe it away. This movie, violence has con- it's, is cartoonish, but it's also much more horrible. Yeah. It's, there's consequences. People are actually maimed or hurt or bloodied. Yeah. And in that way, when I, when I was young and seeing this, it was like, oh my God. Yeah. Well, so the first film ends with Max tracking uh. down the last members of the bike gang that killed his, his wife and his child. And he finds the last one who has come across a car crash and he's trying to siphon off what's left of the gasoline. Max finds him, cuffs his ankle to the bumper of the car sets up this little homemade Frisbee gasoline bomb with a lighter, hands the guy a hacksaw and says, it'll take you 10 minutes to cut through the cuff, but only five to cut through your own leg. And you don't see it. All you see is Max walking away and then the car blows up. So you guess that, you know, whatever. And that's how the violence works in that film is like, you don't really see it, but what they imply is far worse than what they've been implying in the seventies. And again, the blood you actually see in Road Warrior isn't. There's not that much. I would say too. The other thing that I that sort of goes along with what I was saying before is that because there's consequences to the violence, the people who survive have to deal with that. And again, it makes them more real. Because now you see these fist fights, you know, which is you know a lot of times it's influenced by wire foo and stuff. You get hit a dozen times in the chest, in the face, and whatever. You're not even bruised. Yeah. You know. And you can't even tell, like, what move in Kung Fu is actually going to cause damage? Because those 36 didn't. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and and in this, it's also, there's much more urgency because you realize, oh, God, there are no hospitals. There's no doctors. If if he gets an infection, he's probably going to die. Yeah. And they, they, you know, they're trying to save this guy, the guy who was shot pinned to the car with the crossbow bolts, and they're just operating him on a table out in the open, and they can't do it. He dies. They also like, failed okay. to mention the part about Australia trying to kill you at every second you're there. Yeah, I gotta say that the people in Australia are the least dangerous thing. And <laughs> this is true, by the way. I've been told this. When you are in Australia, you are never more than 10 feet away from something that can kill you. And wants to. <laughs> yeah. And Australia also has, it holds the Guinness Book of World Records uh, record for having the most poisonous everything. <laughs> yeah. They do the most poisonous snake, jellyfish, spider, yeah. Raccoon, I don't know. <laughs> well, I love Snail. I, I love that when I found out that beyond all the other weirdnesses with the uh, duck-billed platypus, oh yeah. yeah, by the way, they have poison spurs on their back yeah, they're legs. They're venomous. Like, what? And they, 
And they glow in the dark. I that's don't know. new. They didn't that's know that until recently. Because, <laughs> you know, the next thing we're going to find out, and they probably only do this at night so you can't see it, but um, platypus can fly. I'm waiting for either <laughs> flying or teleporting. Yeah. It turn out they can teleport. Yeah. Well, we got a couple other uh, talking points yeah. that we have been pressing to the uh, sequels in this series. The first of which is... Uh, uh, does this sequel feel like a natural continuation of the original movie's story? That's an interesting point, because in some ways, sure, because it definitely the character is the continuation of the Max Rakitansky, or whatever his name was, uh, from the first movie. But this is also the unusual kind of sequel that, as you said, doesn't require the first movie. You can watch this movie just fine without ever having seen it. But it does work as an outgrowth of it. And I think, by the way, which is the other question, the sequel, this is one of those cases where the sequel is better than the original. Yeah. Because the original the original is good. It's yeah. just, this is remarkable. And I I would say that Mad, well, Mad Max obviously was remarkable too because it made $100 million off 350000 which is like, blah, 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 blah. Uh, I, Hollywood would love to be able to do that on a regular basis. And I think part of it was that nobody had seen anything like this Partially because it's impossible to make a film like that without hurting people. Yeah. Um, and it's true. It's like, this is a film that takes place five years. I mean, literally, it's two years. But in story, maybe five years after yeah. the last film. The first film's remarkably clean in compared to this film. By clean, I mean literally like people have been able to bathe. They uh, the still vehicles. use showers, yeah. Yeah, the they, vehicles are well painted. There's none of this, we, we found a bunch of junk and made a car out of it. Um, so it does and it doesn't. Like it, it's the character really more than the setting is a continuation, but it doesn't hurt anything. I watched them, uh, not back to back, but one day and then the next. And I like them both. But yeah, Road Warrior, and it's not because of the money. Um, quite honestly, visually, they don't look that much different, and they don't look any more or less dangerous than each other, because there's stuff in that first film that's like, ah, that's not CG. Um, so, I, and this is definitely a, a, a step up, but it's not like so much of a step up that it's like not worth watching the first film. If you haven't seen Mad Max, look it up. Uh, I think it was on... Is it Amazon? I think it was on Amazon Prime for free, so if you have that. It's um, worth watching. Yeah, it's it's got some 70s-ishness to it, but <laughs> it's a good action film, so is this, but you know, we, that's... Oh yeah, also, if you watch it, don't be surprised if Mel Gibson sounds very different, because the, in some versions, not all, they, they re-released it, the version I first saw, they had dubbed his voice. Yeah. Because they thought his Australian accent was too thick. Yeah, strangely, the version I watched was not dubbed. Okay, that's good. And it, it led me to, to wonder, like, him? Uh, he's no worse than anybody else in the film. I guess because he's considered the lead character. Although he has fewer lines in that. I think he has four. Literally Ugh. four lines in the first film. Um, but yeah, I, I would agree. This definitely does surpass the first one. But not, again, to make it seem like the first one's not worth watching. Hmm. So. Nope. It's like the Godfather movies. They're both good, but uh, in this case, I think the second is better. Hmm. Uh, do you have any more notes? No, nope, um, nope, I we, think we've covered it. You don't have any uh, huge uh, uh, theories about Dinky D or <laughs> or Dinky no, Die? No, I don't even no. know. It's Dinky D or Dinky Die. I, but I'm not sure. Dinkum, I know, is I think means food. 
Well, dinkum means good. You know, it's fair good. dinkum. Oh, yeah, there you okay, yeah. I, 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 But yeah. I've never been there. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think they eat no, corn. No, food, food, <laughs> food is tucker. Oh, that's right. That's yeah. right. I didn't know that. So dinkum tucker. Yes, <laughs> let's get some dinkum tucker. <laughs> it sounds like a bad Hollywood stage name. It's, I'm dinkum tucker. You're Starring hero. and introducing dinkum tucker. Yeah. As the dog. As the, be- as the beaver. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm. Uh, that's pretty much my note. So why don't yeah. we get to that part that everyone... You know, skips ahead to. <laughs> the Roundup. So, Max. Yeah. I do like this. this? Mo- you like I had not seen this a long time. I like this movie a lot. I think this movie, uh, it in and of itself, is terrific. I think it's it's very cool in terms of what it inspired, the way it, it changed movie making in a lot of ways. It changed a particular genre. It spawned a particular genre. And uh, I think it really works. Yeah, as for spawning the particular genre, I don't know if I'm ready to forgive it for that. Because yeah, it did spawn an awful lot of really bad knockoffs. I want to say that 90% of the video cassettes in the science fiction section of your favorite local mom and pop video rental store in the 80s and 90s were made of films that were trying to look like this. Yeah, yeah, Warrior of the Wasteland, all those uh, things. What yeah. was it, uh, Alien in L.A.? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, just all, lots and lots. Uh, it is a film, I don't think Road Warrior gets talked about much anymore. People talk about Mad Max Fury Road, which for my money is a case where a lot more money doesn't equal a better film. I uh, thought it was really well done, but I don't think it's a better film than this. No, I'm, I'm not as big a fan of it. I also kind of wish that they'd chosen, like, not to make it about Max, because it kind of isn't. It's really more about Furiosa, um, and she's an interesting enough character, and she certainly fits the vibe of the kind of character they made in, in these two films. But it's just, for me, the whole film is, we got to get out of here. We get out of here. Whew, we got out of here. We got to go back. We got to go back. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's a two hour car chase. It's a bit, which uh, remarkably, it's still interesting to watch when that sounds like it would be excruciating, yeah, but, but that's a whole other story. Yeah. Maybe so, we'll get to that someday. Look it up. I had to rent it on uh, on iTunes. It was four bucks. Well worth your four bucks. Uh, it's a film that we've looked upon with with I hate to say joy because it's so violent. Uh, but it was as a teenage as teenage boys, we loved this film. Um, our usual disclaimer: there are no black people here at all. Nope. At nope. all. There's no, I think they're literally no Aborigines, white. nobody. No. The few women characters uh, barely say anything, although to be fair, the guys don't say much more than they do. This is not dialogue heavy, no. No. And that, again, I, George Miller, I don't know, he just gets it. It's like, this is what people, if they want an action film, they don't want all this extra crap. They want this. It's like literally taking the best action films have to offer and boiling it down as far as it'll go before it becomes incomprehensible. Yeah, so yeah, this is, it's very much the essence of an of an action film. Rent it, but uh, yep. Before we go any further, Max, we have some business, don't we? Yes, we do. We have Thank some business. You. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, laugh it up, clown. <laughs> Rogue Warfare Four. Catch it. Cure it. Uh, <laughs> yes, you can, of course, visit us on our website, MaxMikeMovies.com, for a full catalog of all of our back episodes. You can hear us on your favorite podcast app, the Google Podcast app, Apple, the iTunes Podcast app, uh, iHeartRadio, and many, many more. You can find us on Spotify. And, of course, you are on the socially mediated thingies of Twitter and and Facebook under MaxMikeMovies. And, as always, you can email us at us at MaxMikeMovies.com. 
questions, comments, cans of Dinky D. <laughs> mm, Dinky awesome. D. Per- correct pronunciation of Australian slang. Uh, and, and, of course, explanations of the distinctions between New Zealanders and Australians for Mike. <laughs> Dinky D. It helps me make my own gravy. <laughs> <laughs> so, but now that this one's wrapped up, what fabulous sequel are we looking at next week? Oh, fabulous isn't the word for it, Max. Uh, uh, scantabulous. Uh, uh, flubabaloo. I don't scrum-trilescent? know. Oh, it certainly is. So one <laughs> of my favorite movies of all time, in no way, shape, or form, needed a sequel. And yet, <laughs> 30 years later, yeah. uh, actually, no, it was almost, to see, it was 81, and when did it come out? 2019? I think, think so. Uh, yeah. yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, so nearly 40 years later... The director succumbed to pressure <laughs> and decided that we needed to see Blade Runner 2049. But no, we don't. He say you Blade Runner, Mr. Deckard. Oh, uh, yeah, he lying. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, here's the thing. The whole film, the whole original film, was very much like this week's choice, a very groundbreaking film in its way, a very visually influential... Truly iconic. (laughs) Iconic. Mm -hmm. That word, too. Because I can't say influential. It says so right here. (laughs) Um, And so what more could we want than to wait for 40 years for them to have something else to say? Now, to be fair, I'm I'm being a little biased here, and I'm going to rewatch this because I may have been wrong in my initial viewing. Um, but does this film have something more to say? It's about humanity, right? It's about what does it mean to be human? Or what does it mean to be Ryan Reynolds? Um, <laughs> it is, is it Ryan, Ryan Reynolds? No, it's, the other, no it's the other Ryan. It's Gosling, isn't it? <laughs> That's it. <laughs> I can't tell them apart. Yeah, I know. There's all these Ryans and Chris's, and it's they, hard to tell them apart. <laughs> they both played Green Lantern, didn't they? Yeah, I'm sure they did. <laughs> So, if you want to find out who played Green Lantern, tune in next (laughs) week for our review of Blade Runner 2049. This has been a co-production of The Voice of Max and The Movie Wrench. (laughs) 